Welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio, the podcast where marketing leaders inside and outside the sciences share their creative ideas and practical approaches to increasing your marketing ROI. Here's your host, Chris Connor. Hey there. You are probably well into your 2020 plans by now, but I would give this episode a listen before you finalize everything. This episode will, or should, change the way you think about long-form content and how you deploy it. Chris Walker has changed my thinking on a number of things around content for marketing and sales for sure, especially around distribution. So let's jump into it. Chris Walker is the CEO at Refine Labs, where they help companies optimize their revenue model. And today we're going to talk about long-form content for sales and your customers. Chris, welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio. Super happy to be here, Chris. So I discovered you on LinkedIn, LinkedIn because Colin Joseph shared a video of you talking about long-form content for sales. And this episode is about content, but also sales and marketing alignment. We'll get into what that content looks like, but first, I would was taken by your take on how most companies are using marketing content. Describe describe what you see going on. I mean, I don't think this applies across the board, but the thing that I see that's most common in companies and how they're using marketing content is creating a lot of content that's in their best interest, not necessarily in their customer's best interest so that they can get what they want. And so the, the content becomes very very focused on helping them achieve their sales goals and their customer acquisition goals, but not necessarily aligned with what their customers' goals are, what their customers need to know, especially at the top of the funnel. And when we think about companies that are doing stuff at the top of the funnel, they're mainly outsourcing blog content for SEO, which in a lot of cases I don't find to be the most effective or the most valuable for the end consumer. I just want to dig into that a little bit. I I picture top of the funnel content. Maybe it's a blog. It it should be instructive. It should make people aware about your brand. So if someone's searching, they're going to find you. But what are you seeing that makes it not in the best interest of the customer? Um, I don't, I wouldn't say that it's not in the best, not in the best interest. I mean, SEO is, you know, someone's searching for something, you're giving them the results. I, um, my statement there was that I don't think it's the most effective anymore. It's reactive. You have to wait for someone to go into Google and type something in, in order to find, to find your blog. And then maybe they discover you through that blog. And, you know, things have changed since people started doing SEO. Like there are a lot more efficient, faster ways to get to exactly who you're looking for and deliver them better content. And so that's what we're focused on. And so describe what that looks like, the faster and better ways to get to your content. Well, um, we are heavily focused on social. And inside of social, there's a lot of different nuances in there. But we use job title or industry targeted or uh, company targeted or however you want to do it, paid ads to deliver content, typically top mid funnel content which is in the in the audience's best interest that helps them learn something, which then gets them in the process of awareness and consideration of your brand and your product. Avoiding the whole, as you said in your, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, LinkedIn post, tricking people into marketing qualified leads, 
but you you are spending money on advertising, but you're advertising content that should be, and I think this is the right approach, something that your prospects want to learn so, so that they're going to walk away and go, I see now what my problem is and some possible way to solve it. And a lot of times it's not even focused on a problem that they could solve or the even the product or space that we're trying to sell into, right? So like we focus, especially at the top, if you're going wide, like paid, job title targeted paid social, and this works very well in life sciences or medical device or other comp- other industries like that, is, you know, I'll give you an example. We're a medical device company. We're trying to sell this product to these types of doctors. These types of doctors, you know, our product is 2% of their job. And so what a, if a smart marketer, I think, would go and figure out what the other 98% is of their job and then figure out inside that 98% what are the things that are most important or most challenging for them and then deliver content around that. So let's say we're selling to emergency physicians. Uh, I would create you know, a podcast or whatever long form type of content you want about, you know, you know, the things that were most important to them. Burnout, um, they're, you know, a lot of hospitals being acquired. So they're like more, a lot of types like employees, um, like gunshot wounds seem to be, be a big one that they went through. Like how, how do you understand what is really important to them and then deliver that information as a gateway to them finding out about your brand and subsequently your product, but people skip those other steps and go right to their product. And it comes off, I think in a lot of ways, um, inauthentic or short-term focused or sales focused. Yeah. So you and I think along the same lines, I just wasn't, uh, clear on that at the beginning because essentially that's what this podcast is. We talk about all kinds of things, even though, you know, occasionally we talk about podcast production, but mostly it's about what do marketers need broadly, including career stuff and so on. And you're, you're doing a podcast to, uh, to sell podcast services. And this is one thing that I think a lot of companies when they're evaluating partners, external partners, like a podcast agency or a marketing agency or anything like that, you should look at how good they are at the thing that they're trying to sell you. Yeah. Right. So like we have, I see people on LinkedIn all the time that are, that are posting about trying to sell their direct message lead generation services if they were that good at those services, don't you think that they wouldn't need to be posting about it? <laughs> be able to get the clients in the link in the LinkedIn thing. We have people selling, you know, services to personal brand on LinkedIn, but their personal brand gets two likes on all their posts because they're not delivering value. I think that's one thing that I've noticed as I've gotten into this world is that, like, if you sell a service, you better be damn good at modeling the service. Yeah, and hopefully we're doing that. So you're essentially creating a media channel with a very specific audience. It's that audience first model. Like what do these people, what do they care about in general? What would they tune into or read on a weekly, daily basis uh, that's just going to keep my brand in front of them until they go, oh, you know what? These guys do that thing and I need that thing. That's the approach. That's how you serve the customer. What does this kind of content do for the sales team? If I'm, you know, face to face with a customer or I'm having conversations with them, how how am I using that one for that connection between me, the salesperson, and them, and two, me just understanding what I'm trying to provide 
in terms of sales enablement? Like, how do I get better at what I'm doing? Yeah, so I, I post about this in LinkedIn. I feel really strongly about it. I think it's incredibly underutilized um, in virtually every B2B industry and company. And so here's the model. Whatever frequency is real works for you from a budget and time and resource perspective, but I would say it, it must be more frequently than once a month. And I think that you should target trying to get it closer to once a week to go out, find a person in your industry. And I'll note that this, I think this works much better when you're selling to people that are un, that are not like you, right? So I'm a marketer, I'm selling to marketers, but if you're a, if you're a salesperson, but you're selling to doctors, this is where it becomes the most effective. And so we go out as a marketer and I film an interview with a industry thought leader, a industry leading physician at a wonderful hospital, a researcher that just published a clinical trial, a product manager of a complementary product that works with our the product that we sell. Any of those types of options, and I'm sure there's other you know permutations of that. And we talk, whether it's on a podcast or a video or ideally both, for however long we do to cover important topics. And if the marketer is a practitioner and understands what the market needs, then they'll be able to ask the right questions and guide the story to what's most important for the audience. So the content is audience focused first for your customers. The, you produce that episode. I think what un, underutilized here is that that exact same hour long episode that you created talking to one of the best physicians in the country or one of the most influential thought leaders in the industry becomes a sa ongoing sales training tool for your sales team. If you have a field sales team and they spend three hours in the car every day, what are they listening to during those three hours that gets them closer to hitting their goals, whatever they have both personally and professionally? Putting that in their ears for one hour might be the recipe from them going from a low performer to a mid or a high performer. I don't know, but I think that's that that could be an option better than music or something else. That's one option. And then the other one, if they're if they are, you know, inside sales, they they could watch the episode. Maybe inside that episode, the you know, physician from the wonderful hospital mentions a clinical trial that was recently published and his thoughts on it. And what if you listen to that closely and pull out that quote and then go find the most important hospital in your territory and share that clip with the exact audience of in the, tar the target account that you're going after with that person and say, hey, I don't know if you saw like this clinical trial came out, but we did a, we did a whole video on it with blah, blah, blah. The person's obviously going to know them because they're the best in the industry. I thought you'd want to see this for an hour. No ask, no CTA, no, can, I, can we book 15 minutes to talk about it? Forget that. Just deliver the information and start the process of building a relationship, starting a conversation, adding value. I think some of those steps that start with, you know, marketing content that most people aren't even doing today because they don't see it valuable becomes one of the most valuable things you could do. 
Yeah, I think there's huge value in both of those. So you talked about one, what it does for your sales team, and two, what it can do for the relationship with the customer. What I like about the whole idea, like you mentioned many potential people, thought leader, leading physician, partner companies, is now you're immersing that low, mid-level salesperson, anybody in in the world they really need to understand, and they're hearing it from every angle. How can they not get better at what they're doing and being able to go to other customers and then say, you know, I got this idea because I listened to that person and this person and the other person and really being immersed in that world. And then, as you say, giving the gift of just valued information to a new prospect and to say, hey, thought this would be interesting for you. Um, Super important. Like, um, like companies will spend a half million dollars on Sandler training or sales methodology training, but won't spend a thousand bucks to film a video with someone that's going to add way more value to their customer for both, for both the marketing engine and the sales engine. That's something that I have been puzzled by over the past couple of years. Yeah. So you mentioned a thousand bucks and sometimes it's more than that. And in your post on LinkedIn, which um, I'm just going to say your posts on LinkedIn, which are frequent, but get more engagement than anybody else I'm seeing. So Thanks, I'm going gonna, gonna to give you a link at the end here so people can follow you at least and get a, get a daily education that way. But um, one of the things that came up was this whole thing about quality and the fear some companies have either of expense of the expense of doing something they think is at the quality level they think their customers expect talk about that a little bit i think people use quality as an excuse not to do things that they don't want to do anyway and so from a brand perspective and i I go back and forth on this i mean i I think the value is in the the discussion, in in what we're talking about. And of course, you know, try to produce a podcast with good sound quality um, because without good sound quality, which people should know, even if you're making a video, the sound is more important than the picture. (laughs) Um, That, yeah, it's... you're trying to balance it. You know, there are brand considerations and first impression sorts of things. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, and you know, if you're creating really good content, people probably look past that. I think that there is a minimum point of entry threshold that you need to cross. And after that, there's diminishing returns up to the highest production value you could find if that makes sense. Right. And so you have to get to a point where people can consume the information and it it's delivered in a way that they want to receive it. And then so, but then you're going to get diminishing returns all the way up from there. And so it companies need to make a strategic choice. Right. And so if you are the billion dollar brand, how much are you willing to invest to get this done? And, and the answer for most companies would be not enough. So we're not going to do it. And so, again, I think it leads back to an excuse, right? Because we're able to, to put out video content every day. The equipment we have costs less than a thousand dollars all in, you know, the editing software is not expensive. We get it done fast. It's not super high production quality. 
but once so i think if you were going to start it would get get to the threshold where people can see it past that threshold and then do it prove the concept and as you do it you get better but people never start right so like we made mistakes the, the first couple times like the mic my mic wasn't on one time we we lost that whole episode blah 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 blah, blah. like you make mistakes but if you don't do it you're never going to get better at it and so i i would push people to to stop using quality as an excuse and just get started with the budget that they have and sometimes you're going to have to make the case and this the some of the content in this episode could be the way that you build your business case around why you should do this you could look at you know the competency of your sales team you could look at the quality of the inbound leads you're bringing in. You could look at the uh, awareness of your brand in the market. You could measure all of those things, find the one that you think that you could push forward with uh, you know, episodic content like something like this and make the case for why it's worth 50, 100, whatever, whatever $100,000 that you need, go make the case to your executive team and the people executives are very logical. If you can move the business forward and you make a case for how you're going to get there and it's well thought out and it's logical, you know, you're going to have a shot. And, and you're right. I love that your all your video equipment that you're making your videos on is less than a thousand bucks. Certainly there's even very good free video editing software. I'm talking about DaVinci resolve, which I'm a huge fan of. Mm-hmm. Now for making my own videos, what it does for free it would blow your mind. And um, and it's also the software that many professional films are colored on. So um, and then I talked to you yesterday for a different podcast, but he's been on this one. Why Paul Broman from Illumina, who have started a podcast for the last two years, partly because they thought the videos were too expensive. I know they were going for very high production quality, but a podcast as a starting point, very inexpensive to produce regular content. Mm-hmm. And then thirdly, I just love your idea of saying, you know, you got to start somewhere. This is true with every marketing new thing you're going to do. You're going to screw up, but, but start and, and, and learn like, you know, I've had videos out of focus, bad sound, done the same thing throw those out you will never make that mistake again my mic will always be on after i made that mistake once because i said i had a couple really awesome sound bites that we'll never see again and they're never as good the second time even when you realize that you go back so I'm, i'm just looking at a couple of the comments from your post david kirkdorfer said helping customers see the route to success so the kind of content so if I'm buying something, a, a big $100,000 widget, which is the wrong word for anything that costs $100,000, I have no doubt if you tell me it can do X, Y, and Z that it will do it. Like We're going to get to that point. The next challenge is, can I make it do that? Like, What do I need to do mm-hmm. right, to be successful with that thing? Because there's probably a lot of other things that go into it than just buying the thing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, so uh, there's one thing that I just want to get in here, which is super important, which is that like all the stuff that we're talking about today is 2.0. And you shouldn't go here if you don't have 1.0 done. 
which is you have customer research done, you have a sound positioning statement with messaging, you have sales enablement materials so that they have the reference case study that they need when we get that objection, they have the training that they need to be successful, you have a consistent sales process that's shown to be able to deliver consistent revenue. Those things as a marketing team are number one. Once you have that stuff in place is the time to move to what we're talking about, which is top of the funnel brand. And so I think, I mean, to answer your question directly, I think that, yes, we need to have content which shows people a path to success. The way that I like to do that is through very detailed stories of customers like them that had success. And so the way that we do that is we map out a, a whatever the target customer would be. So they'll segment themselves, but okay, we are in you know this industry at this company size with this marketing budget, and we're going to build a story around them. We're going to go on site. We're going to film, not like wear a tie and say, you know, that company is great. They helped us like interview them, like actually hear about their experience, put out all of that content and let people really see what a path to success looks like from not from the brand or from the marketing team, but from the actual customer that went through it and show them both the good and the bad, show them the challenges that they went through, show them you know, where they made the mistakes, what they learned, what they would do differently, and all the success and the progress they made. So the case studies, the case studies is a huge one. And then the second thing is that you got to have a, you, you got to have a sales team that can, that can show them that path that has, that has experience with other moving other customers in that direction, not just a script to, to talk about, but can really get into those level, that level of detail about how you get that stuff done. Yeah, I, I love all of that. I mean, obviously the 1.0 essentials and then going in and filming the raw case study because most case studies I see, you know, sound like a People Magazine article where they're trying to clean up somebody's reputation. It's all, it's all fluff. <laughs> it's like, you know, they, they're, First off, there's nothing quantitative. If there's one thing that 99% of case studies in B2B are missing, it's what was the quantitative result of the important business metric that they move forward. If there's if that's not there, then it's, you know, XYZ company brought our product in, everyone's happy, and now we're going to have a celebration and write you, you know, a PDF about it. And while that makes you feel good, it's really fluffy. Like people are looking to people need to see more than that if you want to have an effective case study is my belief. And it starts with what business metric did your product move forward and by how much and through what time and how did they actually get that done? How they implemented, who was involved, all those different details that show people the core of how they, if they have the same problem with the same business metric, then they can see a path of a company that move that forward and how they did it. And so much more interesting and credible when you're looking into the eyes of that customer and he's saying, this is what we did. Totally. I, mean, <laughs> I think that there's almost a, I've tried to map out a, 
a content engine where no matter what question comes at the sales team, instead of having to explain their way out of it, they can literally just point to the right asset where it's in the in from the mouths of the customer answering that question. But I think that is the ultimate place where you want to get to being able to to walk, show people so that they can figure those things out for themselves. Um, I've, I've been thinking a lot about that recently. I love all of this stuff. Chris Walker, thank you so much for coming on today. This has been a fun podcast. I'll tell you, for people who don't know, this is the first time Chris and I have ever spoken. And I think that's the first time on this podcast I've interviewed someone without ever having spoken to them before. So that was fun. And um, like I said, I'm going to put a link to your LinkedIn profile on the show notes. I'm happy to put one also to refine um, so people can get in touch with you. They should definitely be following you um, if not connecting. So thank you very much. Right on, Chris. Thanks, man. As I said, I will, uh, as I said, you should definitely be following Chris on LinkedIn and you will find a link to his profile in the show notes. I want to update you on my newsletter. For a while, I've only been sharing the latest episode, but recently I've started curating other content that I think would be valuable to you. So that's content around careers, marketing, science, and some things that may be just plain fun. I'm also bringing back transcripts of these episodes because I know not everyone gets a chance to listen. Maybe you're looking at it on an airplane, but the only way to get the link will be in the newsletter. So go to lifesciencemarketingradio.com and subscribe. And as always, be very much appreciated if you tell two friends about this podcast. And I will be back in a couple of weeks. Bye-bye.